Blog Talk Radio. You solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 114th Congress. i about this hearing. I appreciate this uh, topic and the bipartisan approach in which we're taking on this. This is a vital, vital topic. It affects literally millions of people. One of the things that we have to recognize, I think, as a nation is that more than 90% of the people who will go to a federal prison are going to come back out. We have a duty and an obligation to make some determinations as to how we structure that. Are we sending the right people to prison? Are we doing the right things once they're there? And what are we doing as a nation in order to reduce the rate of recidivism to make sure that we are protecting the society and rehabilitating those who are in need of some rehabilitation? The worry that the uh, criminal justice system today is not the system that I think we should aspire to. Some of the states are doing some innovative things, but at the federal government side, I do think there is more that we can do to reduce the rate of recidivism, to incarcerate those and punish those that need the punishment, but also look after the taxpayer dollars. And the rise and expansion of the system is something that uh, I would call into question. It is ripe for an oversight hearing, and I appreciate the bipartisan nature, bicameral nature, in which we're going to address this. As we hear from two senators, two House representatives, two members from the House of Representatives, and then two governors. We will continue through it tomorrow and hear from some others as well. Let me put in perspective the federal prison population and the unsustainable growth rate that we're seeing. From 1940 to 1980, the federal prison population barely moved. We had roughly 24,000 prisoners during those uh, between 1940 and 1980. Over the next 10 years, it more than doubled to about 58,000 prisoners. The 1990s saw another 100% increase to 134,000 prisoners. And from 2010 to, two, from 2000 to 2010, it increased roughly 45% to roughly 210,000 prisoners. We now have more than 219,000 federal prisoners, and the Federal Bureau of Prisons is at 40% over capacity. And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America. And if you, if we have any listeners out there that play the game of golf, you've heard the term mulligan. Tonight, we do a mulligan, a do-over on, on the spotlight on Capitol Hill for Congressman Jason Chavitz. And this is a mulligan, I guarantee you, is well worth it. Tonight, we shine the spotlight on Congressman Jason Chavitz. And I'll tell you what, folks, buckle in. We take off right now. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Lisa Stewart, and William Williams. And coming to you live from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Temperature today in the mid-80s. Beautiful day out there, and we're enjoying summer, I'm sure, as others are all around the U.S. of A. And uh, tonight we're going to have a good one. 
We had an opportunity to start this show a couple of weeks ago, had some technical difficulties that needed to get worked out, and make no mistake about it, uh, we were going to definitely have an opportunity to uh, honor and shine the light on Congressman Chavez tonight. And, William, we've been talking uh, about the, uh, I'd say, the no-nonsense approach uh, that Congressman Chavez has in no-nonsense and straight-to-business and holding folks accountable in our nation's capital. Yes, yes. He's definitely one to do that. He's um, calling people uh, out and making sure that people are being transparent with what they're doing. So, I mean, that's what's needed uh, in, in Washington. Go ahead, William. No, 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 go ahead. And it's needed desperately, Cliff, as we had the opportunity uh, to sit down with Congressman Chavitz on one of our last journeys to the nation's capital. Uh, very, very open uh, gentleman, was very, very, very kind to us. Uh, when I say an open-door policy, he opened his door and let us in and uh, treated us like family. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing about him is that he's very down-to-earth, very straightforward. Uh, and, you know, he is who he, who he is. And you see that when he, when he gets, uh, you know, up on that, in that seat in front of that committee and, uh, you know, people who are standing there and have to be held accountable, he is who he is. And uh, he's, a, he's a lion. No, oh, without question. And uh, Congressman Chavitz uh, comes from the uh, state of Utah. Uh, he has become the chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. Uh, and that happened in January 2015. And I'll tell you what, he's uh, taken his position very seriously. Uh, and, again, the accountability has been the hallmark uh, of his work. Uh, prior to being named chairman of the Oversight Committee, he played a prominent role in numerous substantive investigations, uh, Benghazi, Fast and Furious, gun running, the IRS, all of those things uh, that uh, the American people need to know about. And, uh I don't think you could have a better person uh, at the helm than what Congressman Chavitz is doing. Ladies and gentlemen, you want to join in on the conversation tonight? Uh, real easy. Call 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And uh, we'll welcome your comments during this program. Uh, a lot of things happening uh, and a lot of uh, interesting things in the news going on. Uh, and I'll tell you what, folks, uh, this is one of the most unique elections election years, if you will, in our political history uh, of this country. And I'll tell you what, it is getting heated on the campaign trail. Uh, and William, when you look at some of the things that are going on, it just leaves you in a, with your mouth dropped, wondering what is going on in America uh, right now. And Lisa, before we get started, if you can read the disclaimer, please. Yes, we just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide any legal advice. Uh, you'll want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your own legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending a little bit of your evening with us. And thank you for that, Lisa. And a little bit of current news we'll go into now, folks. Uh, just came out today, child falls from roller coaster uh, in an amusement park or uh, state fair uh, that happened um, you know what? When I was young coming up, and it was very exciting to go to the carnivals that came to town or Six Flags and all those places. I'll tell you what, this will make you want to stay in. And, uh, and this is a tragedy. Our, our condolences go out to the families uh, of, the, of the people that have been lost, the 10-year-old that died. Uh, apparently, my understanding was on the news report, severed his neck uh, going down the largest uh, water park slide in the world. It's in the Guinness Book of World 
uh, records, and uh, going at that velocity, uh, the 10-year-old lost his life. A state representative uh, was the father of this young man, and uh, our condolences again go out to the families. Uh, and it looks like there have been four accidents in the last five days uh, dealing with amusement parks, water parks, these things. Uh, and these are things that, that I, I would presume these, these parks, and before we go into that, uh, none of the facts are out exactly of what happened, what caused this thing to happen. Uh, but I tell you what, I'm pretty sure, uh, Cliff, an investigation of some sort uh, will follow. Uh, will follow this. Absolutely. I mean, you gotta you gotta make sure the children are safe. It's the time of year, you know, when kids are out of school, they're looking for fun things to do. So uh, hopefully, they can get those uh, issues alleviated. I mean, to have that many accidents at amusement parks in such a short amount of time, our hearts go out to those families and. Uh, you know, they, they they need to check and recheck those rides to make sure it's safe when, when you got kids riding on them. No, without question. And uh, going back to the young man, the next story, folks, uh, the young man shot in Chicago by the two officers uh, in a moving vehicle. Uh, and this, Cliff, we, I don't think we got to the other day uh, uh, in regards to uh, officers high-fiving uh, each other after the... Right. Incident occurred. Right. So so for most people that hadn't seen it, um, they've probably seen the news, but the body cams actually uh, showed the police actually celebrating um, with a hand slap or high five or something along those lines uh, after the um, the suspect was there. Um, he was behind the house, I believe is correct, after he got, right. out, the, got out of the car. Um, you can see definitely he was unresponsive. Um, I don't know how you could celebrate the loss of life. I don't know. Um, but that's, that's a bad thing. It's a very bad thing to see and visualize the celebration of, uh, or at least a congratulation of some, well, look, you know. I don't care. what sick. Look, whatever name you put on it, uh, it's sick beyond words. should not be happening uh, anywhere in the world when a man has died and this is a teenage boy again uh african-american another life lost uh that possibly according to the chicago police protocol uh that had been broken and the rules of engagement uh in firing your weapon was not followed and my understanding from the news reports and the protocol at the chicago police department is that you do not fire a weapon at a moving car going away from you. If the car is approaching you to hit you directly, that's one thing. Uh, and, Cliff, when you think about that, they say all the time, uh, you know what, uh, they, there's excuses made. Well, they, they thought they, the officer uh, uh, in Chicago, the chief, comes out and says, you know, this is a tragedy. Then he turns around and he makes this statement. Well, in a heated moment, nobody knows what cops are dealing with in that moment. We do know in that moment a teenage unarmed, unarmed teenager was running away. That's not a split decision that you made when he is running the opposite direction. Right, and, and there are a lot of issues uh, with that situation. You know, they've had the um, legal experts, the uh, law enforcement protocol experts have looked at it and said, you know, from, from just first glance with what was on the uh, officer's you know, body cams that you have the car coming towards you and coming toward one officer is one thing, you know, he's firing. Then as the car is going away, you have two or three other officers begin to fire at the car as it's leaving. And then you still, you have a 
you know, them chasing the young man down on foot. He's unarmed. He's shot in the back, end up being killed. And, you know, it just, it reminds you of all the other things that have been going on in the news. You know, we, we heard, uh, you know, earlier this week that in Maryland, uh, where with the Freddie Gray situation, that police department, that the Justice Department finished its uh, its investigation, and what did they find? They found rampant racism affair, with yeah. with the Baltimore Police Department. Now you say rampant racism, uh, a yeah. rampant uh, you know violation of people's constitutional rights. How is it that the Justice Department can come to that conclusion and say, based on what we've seen just off the evidence, um, you know, paperwork? This is the paper trail of how. They have uh, treated, you know, minorities in that community as far as law enforcement. You have that the Justice Department says that racism and, and constitutional violations are rampant, but not one charge was brought against the officers in the Freddie Gray case. That is a contradiction of facts. And, you know, any reasonable person looking at it has to say, okay, there's something going on. That why is it when it comes to uh, you know a, a black person, an African American, being gunned down by the police or killed by police, that they get a pass? Now we'll see what happens with this young man uh, in Chicago, but you know it's kind of like you anticipate. Well, it's going to be the same old, same old. There will be no charges. The police will claim I felt my life and the life of my fellow officers were in danger, and uh, they'll get a pass. When will any of these officers be held accountable for shooting an unarmed person? No, absolutely. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree. It's just it's just become repetitive over and over again. You see it. Police officers are getting off on it. They get the free pass. So it's like, I mean, but the thing about it now, and we've said this before on the show, the thing about it now, this has been happening. This is not something new. What's new has been the, the cameras, the camera phones that are actually catching the police officers in these situations. But there's still, the, the system is so corrupt, it's allowing them not to 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 be indicted not to not to um you know pay for what they've done i mean we saw no indictment in the eric gardner case uh with, with freddie gray <laughs> they got off uh, i i mean it's they got off knowing that a man died in their custody so i don't understand that i mean i really don't understand it so there's the, the until we stand up until the justice department decides to kick in or something happens major you know, they're going to continue to get off on these passes. So, uh, you know, it's it's almost like Cliff said, it's, it's almost expected behavior. It's a given pass. And that's my thoughts. No, absolutely. And uh, I read a story I was actually looking for. Maybe the research team can locate it. Uh, there were actually two officers involved. This was on the news a couple of days ago uh, of the killing of a man that was down on the ground. Uh, and the officer, the partner of the officer, shot him in the stomach. So the officer in return fired shots into the victim, into the, 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 the suspect that they had on the ground, shot him three times in his body. And here's the kicker. He said to the other officer, oh, he just shot me. The officer never volunteered and said, no, I shot you by mistake, partner. Didn't never came clean, never said, look, man, no, this is moments before he fired into this man on the ground. Right. It was the obligation, and this is something that, just, that has just come out uh, under the investigation that, wait a minute, this officer was shot by his, partner. by his partner, and the man on the ground that they had on the ground loses his life, 
and the officer had an ethical obligation to say, wait a minute, no, that's my gun. He didn't shoot you with any weapon. He didn't shoot you with your gun. He failed to speak and to say anything while this young man laid on the ground and died. Again, folks, we live in a very, very bad situation in this country. Uh, and I'll tell you what, we better start looking in the mirror uh, and taking a look at where we are. And I can guarantee you uh, there are going to be some changes, we hope, in this next Congress. Uh, and, the, and the folks on the Hill that are doing what they're doing, I got no question uh, or have any doubt, if you will, uh, that Congressman Jason Chavez, we can ready to roll it back, folks, here and bring you the life, the the things that Congressman Chavitz is doing there on Capitol Hill, we're going to get into that conversation. And I'll tell you what right now, it's going to take people like Congressman Chavitz that gets involved, that believes you are to be held accountable. We need more of that in Washington. Tonight we, un- we unfold that mystery, if you will, of a man that's doing things, that's making things happen. And as Cliff alluded to, they call him the lion. We're coming right back here on AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday continues after this. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of AJC Radio and a campaign that we have started that is underway entitled Spotlight on Capitol Hill. This program is new to AJC Radio, but it is an exciting time when we take a few moments every Thursday evening to highlight members of Congress, their initiatives that are not only important to them, their constituents, and the nation as a whole. We invite you every Thursday to tune in to AJC Radio to hear your congressman or your senator and their initiatives that are here to shape a nation and to bring about change. We invite you cordially, and as we fight for justice, as we seek justice daily, we'll come together as not only the American people. Join us every Thursday for Spotlight on Capitol Hill. God bless you, and as always, God bless America. Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in the community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young black You can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. I stand for equality. I stand for individuality. 
I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Folks, grab your neighbors, uh, who's ever at home tonight on this beautiful summer night across the USA. Tonight we uh, shine the spotlight on Congressman Jason Chavitz, and he is the uh, chair of the House and Oversight Committee uh, there on Capitol Hill. And we're going we're gonna to actually spotlight some things that he's doing uh, in our nation's capital, uh, right out of Utah, doing some good things uh, a no-nonsense congressman, and uh, we had the opportunity, Cliff, to sit down with him for a few minutes uh, uh, in D.C., and I'll tell you what, uh, it was really a pleasure to talk to him. He had a huge line of constituents, I believe, uh, of seniors uh, that he was going to be meeting with, and he said, well, go ahead, tell the staff, go ahead and direct them outside. I'm coming right there. Let's let these folks come in and have a conversation, and uh, Cliff, that conversation was, was meaningful and uh, we hope in working with Congressman Chavitz in the future here at AJC Radio and the Just Cause. Absolutely. You know, it just shows uh, that he's willing to sit down with those who are his uh, constituents locally, as well as other, uh, you know, just normal citizens of the U.S. I mean, he is uh, in and over several very important committees. I mean, he's on the uh, subcommittee on crime, terrorism, homeland security, investigations, courts, intellectual property, and the Internet also the chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, as most people who've ever seen uh, Congressman Chavitz, that's what they know about him. But he is uh, open to sit down and talk to you, hear what your issues are, uh, what your concerns are, and if need be, bring those before the, uh, before the committee and, uh, and have a hearing. And, you know, what it, what it showed, you know, like you said, Lamont, he had, he had a huge group of senior citizens that he was about to meet with that he was doing a, uh, you know, uh, yep. a get together with them. But it shows his, uh, you know, just, just that he's down the earth. He was gracious enough to say, you know what, I'm going to have time with you guys. We already got it scheduled. So let's bring these people in, uh, us, and, uh, and sit down and talk and see what, what sure. uh, you know, what, what exactly your concerns are. Speaks to who he is as uh, his integrity, his, his willingness to deal with the public, and uh, help in any way that he can. And it, it's very enlightening when you have a congressman like that 
because he could have very easily said, you know what, I have an appointment, I have this schedule, won't be able to talk to you guys, uh, take about six months to get on my calendar. But he went the exact opposite route, said let's sit down for a few minutes and hear what it is that you guys have to say as a just cause. Oh, and I believe, uh, Cliff, we actually presented him with the award of appreciation yes, yes. Uh, at that. And uh, we told him, look, Congressman, we'd like to present something to you. Uh, and Lisa could probably tell us better. Uh, and uh, we'll, get to, we'll get back to that later in the program. But I'll tell you what, he was very excited uh, about the, us taking the time as an organization to say, look, Congressman, thank you. And sometimes that's all it takes. That, you know what? We appreciate what you do. Every time you get out of the bed in the morning, go to that office and go before those committees and, and pull things together and try to say, how do we make America better? Uh, William, that is something that you can't put a price tag on. No, you can't. No, you can't. I mean, you, and you have to, you know, sometimes, like you said, just saying thank you, saying thank you. We appreciate your service. You, we appreciate you being a voice for the little man. We appreciate you taking, you know, taking the issues that uh, not only impact, you know, your constituents, but also others across the country and saying, listen, I'm going to champion this. I'm going to fight for this. And, you know, that's, you know, that's amazing it, because really it, what it says is, is that, you know, I'm appreciated. I'm not just sitting here um, taking up space. People understand what I'm doing and understand that I'm here fighting for them. Well, without question, and uh, I think the transparency and the, the accountability, I think, is the major thing that impressed me the most. Look, folks, uh, Congressman Chavez is, is, uh, is Republican. Uh, but I'll tell you what, if you look hard enough, I believe the vision of America means a lot to people that have taken that office. And it's a matter of finding the good. We don't have to always agree on every single point. We don't do that in regular life. There are going to be things we do not agree with, but we, it doesn't hinder us from working together. As he came on at the, the opening uh, uh, introduction clip, uh, he was talking about the bipartisan effort dealing with the, uh, the crime, uh, the, um, uh, the uh, criminal justice reform issues and how he said they crossed, the lo- they crossed the aisle to make those things happen. That means things can get done. Yes. It's a matter of people be- being willing uh, to reach across the aisle and say, look, we have a job to do. Our criminal justice system is out of control. And he, at the point of the congressman Chavez made was this. A, lot, a, a huge number of people are going to get out of prison. What are you giving them and what tools are you giving them to be successful in reentering uh, our society? Uh, I, I think that speaks volumes to the congressman. And, and I, I, you know, we salute him tonight. And uh, listen to this very carefully. Congressman Chavez, with no paid staff, no name recognition, no campaign debt, and very little money, Jason Chavitz beat all odds, standing firm on the conservative principles of fiscal discipline, limited governance, accountability, and strong national defense. Congressman Chavitz knocked out a 12-year incumbent and was elected to represent Utah's 3rd Congressional District in 2008. That speaks volumes. Cliff, when you hear that, Utah saw something in Congressman Chavez that said, wait a minute, we have a 12-year, which is very difficult, right. to beat an incumbent. He had no money, no staff, but he was able to persuade the, the state of Utah to say, wait a minute, or the third district that he represents, we are going to put you on Capitol Hill. And, you know, you don't uh, persuade people by yourself with your voice uh, by, you know, talking crap. You, that, is, that is not how you get out there and, uh, you know, get people to say, okay, well, maybe he'll be good enough. A 12-year incumbent, you go out pretty much by yourself 
and say, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I believe. You have to have a message that the people really believe to be able to pull that beat off. And, and the only way to do that is that message has to be coming from who you are. It has to be coming from deep down inside that this is what, I, this is what my plan is. This is what I'm going to do for you. Because people know you when you're when you're just uh, you're just talking, but when you really feel it, when you're really passionate about it, uh, they can get on board with you. And for him to pull that beat off, say a 12-year incumbent that uh, he took the seat from, that shows who he is as a person, who the people of Utah believe that he was, what he could do, and the fact that he's still there shows that he's lived up to those expectations from his constituents. No, absolutely. And we talk a lot about. Uh... Uh, in, in reference to a lot of members of Congress are motivated by their children, their families as well, to say, look, I need to do the best job I can. And I think that's what Congress is about. It is the future, not only today, but what am I leaving for my children? And uh, we salute Julie Chavez tonight. That's his wife. They've been married since 1991. They have three beautiful children. Uh, after finishing the 1988-89 football season at Brigham Young University uh, as a starting place kicker, Congressman Chavez graduated with a B.A. in communications. He spent 16 years in the local business community uh, where he specialized in corporate communications work and ultimately owned his own communications firm prior to running for Congress. He served as campaign manager and chief of staff to former Utah Governor John Huntsman, Jr. from 2003 to 2005. So I think when you look at the congressman's experience, his resume, if you will, uh, what you find is why he's calling people into to be accountable. I think it makes perfect sense given what he's done. He knows about the businesses. He knows about, you know, if you have your own firm, you know the laws that affect that firm. You know what's appropriate. You know what's not. He brings that very unique perception, if you will, a perspective rather, to that position. William, your thoughts on that, Ben, is, you know, like I say, you're in business, things happen. How important is it that you have somebody that can relate to the business owner or the small business owner or the big business owner that, that will say, look, we need you to be accountable for what you're doing. Right, because, I mean, really, when you're, when you're a small business owner and you're driving to a goal, you, you, I mean, you don't have open purse strings. I mean, you, you don't have a lot of money, so you have to be accountable sure. for things. You have to manage. You have to set expectations. You have to, you have to have goals, and you have to keep things moving forward. So that way, people understand that, that I'm investing in you. I have an interest in what you're doing, and so you need to be transparent to me. If I'm giving you money to help, then I need to know what that's going to, what that's going, what's, uh, you know, what it's being used for. So he's basically doing the same thing. He's saying, hey, listen, as a representative of the state of Utah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be transparent, and I'm going to promote transparency across to, to government. We need to be. We are elected officials, spokesmen of, in, on your behalf. Sure. And so you need to know what we're there for. We don't need to have hidden agendas, you know, some kind of you know, script that we're playing under the cover. We need to be accountable for our actions and transparent so you know who I am and I am representing you well. And I think that's, that's, that's amazing. Well, absolutely, William. And I'll tell you what, folks, uh, get in on the conversation tonight, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And I'll tell you right now, it doesn't stop right there. Now, Congressman Chavez uh, was basically very much involved. He's, he has a passion for foreign policy and national security, uh, our very key focus of his work on both the oversight and previously on the Homeland Security Committee. 
Uh, he's made several trips overseas to investigate issues ranging from embassy overspending to foreign aid waste. Uh, his trip to Libya in, in, in the weeks following the September 11, uh, 2012 attack became the impetus for a broader investigation and the appointment of a select committee. He had a point. I'm not only going to talk the talk. I'm going to get over there. I'm going to see what's going on. What is prompting this and prompting that? Uh, it sounds like Congressman Chavez is about hands-on. Let me find out. And that is, Cliff, that is something that is so necessary uh, as you hold such a very important position. In order to hold people accountable on the Oversight Committee, you have to know what you're talking about. Congressman Chaffetz seems to take those extra steps to educate himself and to make sure he's knowledgeable of what's going on. Exactly. I mean, you cannot just, uh, you know, get up there and say, okay, well, I'm going to ask you some questions, uh, you know, just some canned questions uh, on some basic things. you got to get down into the, you know, as they say, the meat of the matter. Like, what, what is it that we're really here for? What is it that we're here to discuss? And, and we need answers for the American people. And I think looking at Congressman Chavez and what he does, how he, how he uh, presents, how he represents the committee as well as the American people is that, you know what, we're looking for answers. And we don't care that, you know, uh, you may be a political um, head, that you may be a judge, you may be, you know, secretary of state or whatever. He's saying the American people deserve to have answers. And I'm going to ask the tough question. I'm looking for the real information. And that's what he does. That's what uh, he goes after. And, um, you know, that is why, as you alluded to uh, earlier, uh, Mon, about when we were there in his office, that we presented him with a plaque saying, you know what, uh, Congressman Chavez, this is what you're about. And, and I know Lisa had a, a couple words on, uh, you know, what she wanted to say about that, uh, about that plaque that, that was presented to him. Yes, I did. And, you know, Lamont, you were talking, we've been talking so much about uh, how he's uh, making people accountable. And that's exactly what our plaque was said to him, was that we appreciate the fact that he is demanding accountability from the other members of Congress, and from our government. He's demanding that people be accountable. And we have to have them being accountable for what they're saying, what they're doing, the actions that they're taking. If they're not accountable for the things that they're doing, then they may do anything. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing to, to rein them in. There's nothing to keep them from just going crazy. So he's demanding that these people be accountable for what they're doing, what they're saying, the actions that they're taking, and we have to have that. And I think that's why it meant so much to us. Uh, I know to me as personally, and uh, that and that's exactly what the plaque was about. Was just thank you so much for demanding that accountability of these other members of Congress. Oh yeah, and 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 good point on that. And not only the members, we have to demand accountability, which he does on every branch of government. Anybody can come before that oversight committee. What and the question is, what are you doing? Why why are people jumping the fence at the White House Secret Service? What's going on? We're going to hear a little bit from Congressman Chavez, and on this issue, uh, he's going to be addressing the IRS corruption that apparently they've made a name for themselves in the world of corruption. And I'll tell you what, Congressman Chavez wasn't going to tolerate it one bit. Let's see what he had to say. Look at the political legal aspects of the developing IRS uh, email scandal. House Oversight Committee member, Utah Congressman Jason Chavitz. Congressman, why do I believe that if the IRS came to me and I said to the IRS, hey, guys, um, I lost my receipts. Oh, I didn't save my tax returns for the years that you're looking for. Sorry. Oh, the dog ate my tax return. The dog ate my receipt. 
Would that, would that fly with them? It doesn't pass the basic sniff test, Sean. Of course they would go after you. That's, that, that's no excuse. And I want to know why the IRS commissioner, who appeared before our committee on March 26th of this year, why did the IRS commissioner, when I asked him about those emails, he said that they had been taken off and stored on servers. He confirmed in, under oath, he raised wow. his hand and said that they do have those emails and that they, the only reason they hadn't given them to us is because we were extracting the 6103, the personal information that was there. So he confirmed that he had, was he lying to the Congress at that point? We got a lot of questions for him. Well, that's interesting information. Let's go through the timeline of all this. And in March of 2010, we know the targeting of conservative groups begin. Those that have the name conservative, uh, 2012 uh, or 912 project, Tea Party, obviously those groups are targeted. Then August 2013, the committee chair, Daryl Issa, subpoenaed the emails. February 2014, uh, IRS knew at this time that the emails were missing. Now, you just told me that the commissioner told you that they had them backed up on a server, and then they didn't tell you until last Friday that, in fact, the emails were gone. Now, if they knew back in February and you had subpoenaed them so long ago, didn't they have an obligation to tell your committee that, that we don't think we can retrieve these emails? Oh, absolutely. From the Oversight Committee perspective, 13 months ago, we're asking for this information. And then we have them before this committee just March of this year, this year. And he confirms that they do have them, that they're stored on servers. How, and how is it, Sean, that the President of the United States says he's going to get to the bottom of this? Then he goes on Bill O'Reilly's show and says, well, there's not a smidgen of idea that there's any corruption here. How did he come to that conclusion if they didn't look at the email? Well, there you have it. Uh, uh, very forthwith, forthcoming uh, with his answers to the interview. And he's saying, look, we've asked for information from the IRS several weeks ago. 13 months. 13 months, a huge period of time. And what happens, Cliff, we've seen this in certain hearings that we've kind of observed uh, when we were in D.C., and they show up with blank pieces of paper for information to the oversight committee. And that is the thing that, you know, I think uh, as a government employee or official, when they come before uh, the oversight committees, I think it's a disservice to the American people because at, at this point, you're getting called before Congress. It's time out for games. It's time out for hiding information. The American people are calling you to a moment of accountability. And uh, I think that is a slap in the face to the American people to come in and say, well, the information in this has been redacted. And you show up with page after page of sheets of paper with just black, uh, you know, blackout all over all of the words. That is, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a serious disrespect to the American people. But what you see during those times is when Congressman Chavez uh, is at his best when he says, you know, I'm representing the American people. I'm over. I am the chair of this committee. I will not accept the fact that uh, that this is what you come in here with and tell the American people that this is what you present uh, as the facts. And he, he holds their feet to the fire. Say, you know what? We're going to call you back. And next time you come, we want to see some real information. That is what uh, gives him the respect of his constituents, of the other members of Congress, uh, as uh, to the from the American people, and and you know us as a as a uh, as a just cause to say 
this is a member of Congress that is willing to put everything on the line and say you will be held accountable. No, that's uh, that that's 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 something that you have to respect that. Uh, and I think Cliff, you make a good point. It's a disservice to the American people. Uh, somewhat along the way, uh, we've been in you know this country's been ran on 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 uh, the system in which is set up for quite some time. It has its issues, without question. There's a overhaul that needs to happen without question but in the meantime there are things being done and i think this is what is so disheartening at times cliff and william lisa is that yes we have the challenges and i think i'm going to just say it as it is uh the optimism that president obama spoke at the denver at the democratic national uh convention this year was very clear that america has the ability to pick up the pieces we, there's no way a country can come as far as America has come, except that optimism uh, is there. Uh, and I think what when you see these things, you, you have to recognize there are actions, there are steps, there are processes that have to happen to better us as a country and as a people. And America, as President Obama has pointed out on several occasions, has always risen from the ashes, regardless of the tragedies uh, or the things that we have faced as a country. Congressman Chavitz being on the other side of the aisle of President Obama, disclaims this same objective, that we can make it better, but there's a way it has to be made better. And that is what? Accountability and transparency. So I think, I think we have more in common than what we, ever, than, than what we believe. And I think, William, that's, that's a point that's critically uh, important that needs to be made. That's, that's true. I, I think one, one other thing that comes to mind here is truth. You know, to understand that we can come together, we must first understand that there's a true reality of where we are. We are broken. We are fractured. But in that, we can come together. We can pull the pieces together. So it doesn't really matter if you're a Republican or Democrat. It matters that the care and well-being of the people of this country and the country as a whole, the greater good is putting the pieces back together. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and to go to a point that Cliff said… You know, when you talk, this man is calling these people accountable. He doesn't, he's not caring about the fact that you have a title that says director of uh, or something of a large agency. He's saying, listen, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. I don't care what your title is. You have a responsibility to the people of this country. The people of, these co- of this country pays your salary and our taxpayers' dollars. They may have elected you to uh, or appointed you to their position. So just because – because of that, now you have to. I am going to call you in question. If you don't want to answer the question, I, I can I can see to it to ask that question to you, to you several different times in several different ways. And you and I'm not going to be satisfied until I get an answer. And I think that's the the thing. Even though it is, it's, I agree with Cliff. It's a shame that you have to have an oversight committee to call these people in question. But you you know what? You have to look up and say, you know what? I thank God for. Someone like, you know, uh, Congressman Chavez that will call these people in question. Well, I think, and, and this is, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. These members of Congress, we see them in a suit, a tie. We see them on TV. We see them in sound bites. Uh, these are human beings that have, that are going through many times their own personal tragedies. I've always been taught that out of tragedy comes triumph, depending on how you face that tragedy. It says here that in 1995, Congressman Chavitt's mother passed away 
after a long battle with cancer. During that time, he was deeply touched by the personal generosity of the Huntsman family in their fight against cancer. When Congressman Chavez heard that John Huntsman Jr. was mounting a uh, campaign, he arranged a meeting through a mutual friend, and shortly thereafter, Huntsman named Congressman Chavez his campaign manager. Congressman Chavez ran a well-organized campaign for John Huntsman Jr., which resulted in a victory. He then worked for another year as Huntsman's chief of staff. In 2005, Congressman Chavez rejoined the private sector, managing his own company, MaxTerra Utah, a corporate communications and marketing firm. Now Congressman Chavez represents the people of Utah, 3rd Congressional District. He is energized and dedicated to fighting for what is right for Utah and for the United States of America. William, going to your point, he is committed to truth. He's committed to this transparency. He is committed to saying, look, it's kind of like, you know, you got a a good cop, bad cop, so to speak. Uh, And people may see Congressman Chavez, well, he's the bad cop. But ultimately... He's getting the right result. He's causing people to say, wait a minute. I need to rethink what I'm doing. I need to rethink my decisions and my choices in this position. You, you mentioned earlier, William, about he's not concerned about your title. That is true. But because of your title, right. I will hold you to a higher absolutely, standard. Absolutely. And I think that's a point that, uh, that definitely needs to be made. Folks, hang on. We're just getting started here, and I'm excited. The temp, Of course, 83 degrees in Colorado Springs right now. And I guarantee you on this show and in this studio, that temperature is going to rise. We're coming back as we continue. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And I'll tell you what, shining the light on a man that's leading by example. We'll be right back here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now 
We have a voice. Now we, we have, have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We, we can, can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you were the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, folks, and it's a nice summer evening, if you will, across the United States. Uh, I know the kiddies are going back to school here in a very short period of time, and so try to enjoy the rest of summer that we have and do a picnic, a barbecue, whatever fits your fancy. But tonight we deal with a very different issue, and it, it has the same flavor, and that is shining the light on, on Congressman Jason Chavitz. Someone making a difference on Capitol Hill. And I tell you what, William, we've been very impressed thus far uh, with what we've heard and what we've discussed here with Congressman Chavitz. Yes, I'm very impressed. Very impressed with somebody that's, that's willing to take a stand and just demand transparency in our, gov- our government. So, you know, hats off to him. Hats off. Well, no, and that's absolutely the, the correct uh, uh, accolades, if you will. Uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, we were talking prior to the break. Uh, in regards to uh, Congressman Chavitz, his demand, if you will. That's a strong word. Uh, he's not asking you for transparency. He is demanding transparency and, and, and accountability. We're going to go into, we were talking about the IRS situation. Uh, some of the things, uh, the stories are just uh, just in large volume. Uh, and we're getting ready to hear a little bit of how Congressman Chavitz dealt with an issue calling the IRS out on compliance. Let's see what he had to say. copy of the uh the the subpoena that uh that you were issued you, you re- did receive the subpoena correct yes the date on this is february 14th correct 
understand what it means? Is there any question that it was uh, on what it means? I don't think so. Do you uh, do you believe it was duly issued by the House of Representatives? Uh, I'm assuming that I have no independent basis for determining that. The the schedule, which is just eight items, uh, all communications sent or received by Lois Lerner from January 1st, 2009, to August 2nd, 2013. Is there any ambiguity in your mind? Do you, do you have any doubt as to what that means? No, if you want to go through all eight, I have no doubt what any of them mean. As noted, uh, some of them mean that you're going to take uh, months or years to get the information, but and it's going to be voluminous. What, why? There's no doubt about it. There's no, so you have no ambiguity about what it means. You believe it's been a duly issued subpoena. Right. And, and you have not complied with it. Is that correct? I, there is physically no way anyone could have complied between February 14th and now. We have never said we won't comply. We have said, in fact, we're well, in. Are, are you going to comply or not? We are complying. And I will tell you to comply no, no, with no, wait, this. Oh, You'll be next year. You'll be next year still getting documents. Commissioner, what, what email system do you use there at the IRS? What email system? Yeah, is it Outlook or you? Yes, we have actually Microsoft. At least I have Microsoft. Also. So you have Microsoft. You go on there and you want to find all the items you sent under your name. How long would that take? Well, it would take a while because they're not all on my computer. They're all stored somewhere. Okay, so but your IT specialist, how long do you think it takes of the 90 plus thousand employees there at the IRS? How long would it find it to take to find all the emails that included her email address? Just Lois Learners alone. Just Lois Learner. Just Lois Learner. Uh, it would it would take a while. We'd have like to how long? Uh, well, there are millions of emails. Minutes? A million minutes. I don't know, but I don't think it's minutes. I mean, that's one of the brilliance of the email system is you go in and you check the sent box, the inbox, and you suddenly have all the emails. Correct? Uh, right. They, they get taken off uh, and stored in servers, and you've got ninety thousand uh, employees, and you've got. Anyway, I'm not asking to search. I'm asking to find one. They type yeah. in her email address. We could find, and we, in fact, are searching. We can find Lois Lerner's emails. And, and how long? How long would that take? I have no idea how long. I, but I, would it take a day? As I just said, I have no idea. Well, I, I just don't understand. you got a duly issued subpoena. If you were in the private sector and somebody was issued a subpoena and you didn't comply with it, what would happen to you? Uh, for this subpoena, the court would actually rule that it's far too oh, broad. Oh, so you're going to make the determination. No, no. The you're, court, you're going to make you the ask the question. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'll tell you what, you're talking about being on the hot seat, uh, and he's asking very simple questions. He's not – Cliff, give me your thoughts on that, on the congressman's well, I mean, position there. It, it, it's kind of uh, funny listening to it because, you know, he's just uh, – he's he's – He's pressing the nails to him. Um, but, yeah, he asked a very simple question. So how long would it take? Do a search. Anybody who has email knows you put put a search in the put a name in the search box. If I'm looking, give me all the emails. I'm looking for every email that I have from from or to Lamont Bank. You know, that's not going to take till next year. Yeah, yeah. That will be in a matter of minutes. And he, he uh, Congressman Chavez knows that he's like, OK. I want you to explain to me why you're saying it'll be till next year that you're gathering emails and <laughs> trying to say, well, they're on the server. No, that's not that's not good enough. And, but it shows that he is not willing to let the American people get uh, be gotten over on. It's like you're not going to get over because you come in here with some story saying, okay, well, there's uh, you know we got ninety thousand employees. Well, 
those emails are segregated into a certain block of employees depending on what department you work in. Anybody who's who worked in corporate America totally understand that. That's a very simple uh, understanding. And when you do a search on an email in your day-to-day job, you know that you can find the email that you're looking for. And, and Congressman Shavit says, look, American people, I'm going to bring it home to you. I'm going to make it real simple, just as simple as it is, and then let him answer so that you can see how insane he sounds trying to say it's going to take till next year to find those emails. Uh, but it, 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 uh, it exposed the corruption at the IRS. It also showed Congressman Chavez's, uh, you know, just his determination to get the answers that the American people deserve. And that is what really stands out with me to, about him is that when he's chairing this committee, he is absolutely uh, no holds barred, no games played. I am looking for answers for the American people. He has our best interests at heart. And you cannot do anything except for commend him for the stance that he takes when he's up there in the chair. Well, I, I have to agree. I mean, you couldn't help but, you know, want to laugh at it a little bit because he's not going to let him go. I, I really think the commissioner came in there and thought he could do a little song and dance and be out. And he's like, no, you're not going to you're not going to tap dance your way out of this. You're not going to, you know, they'll duck and dodge this. And he, he basically said, told him, he said, so so basically. If you were given this subpoena in corporate America and you would not comply, how would you deal with that? And he tried to he tried to basically say, oh, we, the court would see it as something that would be impossible, deemed impossible. He said, oh, so you're going to be the judge. Right. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, so you're going to tell me how they would rule. I said, but you're not going to get off like that. And that's what that's what you love about that segment. He's, he said. He, and he didn't raise his voice. He just stayed very calm. He said, so this is what you're saying? Well, that level of accountability is critical in the times in which we live now. Uh, I uh, know that uh, there was an op-ed uh, posted by Kelly Nelson back in July uh, to credit Congressman Chavez for his help in improving the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, and the, the, the story reads that there were two big reasons to celebrate the 4th of July this year, America's 240th birthday and the 50th anniversary of passage of one of the most important pieces of legislation in our nation's history, and that's the Freedom of Information Act. For half a century, Americans have relied on FOIA FOIA, to gain access to vital information from the government. And uh, the Freedom of Information Act has brought to light numerous issues of public concern, including the link between cancer and a top-selling toothpaste, the E. coli tainted beef that the Department of Agriculture allowed to be processed and sold even after it found E. coli contamination in numerous meat plants. And the hundreds of millions of dollars in overseas Katrina aid turned down by the U.S. government. Uh, and they were crediting Congressman Chavitz for being part of that legislation to say, and that tells you just how important what Congressman Chavitz does really, really is. And what he's been doing, because I'll tell you what, the problem you have when you're talking about contaminated meat, you're talking about on the kitchen table in in millions of Americans' homes, lives basically being at risk. And this is what the Freedom of Information Act uh, alleviates all of that. And, and actually, again, they did this and look, we appreciate Congressman Chavez for his help in improving the language, improving the actual intent, if you will, of the Freedom of Information Act. I think, Cliff, that speaks volumes uh, to exactly how involved Congressman Chavitz really is 
and helping not only, again, his district, but helping the United States of America, because that's huge. That affects all of us. That's right. He's putting the people first. And that's what that's the bottom line. That's what's going on. It's like, OK, well, you cannot, uh, you know, allow the American people to eat tainted food, especially tainted meat. I mean, you're talking about people's lives being on the line and then, uh, you know, just go unaccounted for. These are the type of things that you expect. It's like, OK, there are certain government regulations that you expect to work for the American people. And that the uh, regulations by the Food and Drug Administration, you absolutely expect for them uh, to work without any red tape, without any uh, ambiguity. That the things that we're consuming, we're consuming as Americans, we need to know what that is. And Congressman Shavitz is saying, look, the American people deserve to know if you're putting tainted meat on the table. That is unacceptable, and uh, and I'll hold your feet to the fire for it. And so he he does that to show the American people that, look, I got your best interests at heart. And it, it's all about us working together and uh, not only to get things accomplished, but to expose those who are doing it the wrong way and to ensure that somebody is being held accountable. You you cannot get away from the fact that Congressman Shavitz is uh, his whole stance is on holding government officials accountable for the things that they do wrong and the things that they do not do that they should be doing for the American people. No, absolutely. And I think the point they make here also uh, states that, however, in recent years, the process for obtaining records and information from government has become increasingly difficult. This speaks to why Congressman Chaffetz, through his investigation, through his observation, uh, and his key uh, work ethic, if you will, to research these matters are critically important to make sure that the Freedom of Information Act is there. Uh, And the fact that information has become more and more difficult, in some cases, uh, the writer writes, downright impossible uh, for a variety of reasons. Many federal agencies simply ignore FOIA requests or provide incomplete or delayed information. Uh, You got to have a watchdog, if you will, saying you're not going to do that because you're talking about the lives of a lot of people. Exactly. I mean, anybody who's ever done, I mean, if you've ever done a FOIA request, you ever said, look, I need this information. If they it takes it takes almost forever to get a response to it and get the information that you're looking for. The last thing you want is to have, um, you know, that information to be incomplete. And then you got to start the process over. It's not like, okay, well, hey, you know, I put in a FOIA request and this is what you sent me. I need, you know, the other 20 pages of that paper. Well, put in another request and start the process all over again and then sit back and wait. So uh, Congressman Shavitz. Uh, ensures that the American people, when they put in a FOIA request, says you're going to send back a reasonable amount of information. It's going to be complete, and you're going to give the American people what they're looking for. It is not difficult, and that is what gets me about uh, you know some of the government uh, quote unquote bureaucrats is that okay, you work for the American people, and so when the American people make a request, the least that you can do is say okay, since you're my employer. And since, you know, we're all, uh, you know, the same family or whatever, to come back with reasonable information. Congressman Shavitz ensures that that happens. No, without question. And Cliff, to go on further here uh, is that there's some good news here to look at is that the uh, FOIA Improvement Act of 2016, and that's what they're saluting Congressman Shavitz for, promises to restore the original intent of the legislation, which is to foster a more open and accountable federal government. We talk about that again. Those are the hallmarks. That is the hallmark of Congressman Chavitz's uh, uh, passion, if you will, on Capitol Hill. 
states here that the new bill significantly narrows the wiggle room that agencies have uh, as they respond to FOIA requests. It, co- it codifies the presumption of openness first ordered by President Obama in a 2009 memorandum, which tells agencies that disclosure of information should be their go-to response to a FOIA request. Now, here's the big thing. It says here that the, that the legislation uh, had, has been passed by the House and the Senate, and President Obama had, has pledged to sign the, sign the bill into law. This tells me if you want to get work done, and nobody, you don't hear this on the news. You don't hear a lot of this. Man, these, the president, Republican uh, Congressman Chavez, Democrats, Republicans from both sides of the aisle say, look, this is important. It tells me it can be done if people are willing to lead out. Congressman Chavez William has chosen to do that. Yeah, I mean, he, he's done it. I mean, when you look at this, and I just read this right here, he, and this is a quote from Congressman Chavez. He said, passing bipartisan FOIA legislation is a major milestone and big step forward in fixing a broken process. This bill will help make government more transparent and accountable to the public. That last line, more transparent and accountable to the public. He is he that's his his agenda. He's basically telling you, uh, telling us and protecting us as members of a, of a, of the United States, you know, US citizens. He's saying, "Listen, these guys need to know what we're that's doing." Awesome. What we're doing. No, that's absolutely amazing. And again, uh, these are things that, again, you just don't hear a lot about it. Congressman Chavez, ever, they didn't see him at the, in the chair at the hearings. Well, man, look at Chavez. He said, Congressman Chavez is doing some stuff. Yes. And he's involved in a lot of things to help improve the nation. Uh, and I think that's important. I think the, the key factor, I think, in our country right now is the act of transparency, is, as everybody knows. Uh, that's critically, critically important. Folks, if you want to get in on the conversation, uh, please feel free to, excuse me, please feel free to dial in to 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And uh, you can learn more uh, about uh, Congressman Chavez also at our website, AJCRadio.com, uh, at the end of this show as well. Those shows will be archived as well. Folks, I'll tell you what, Congressman Chavez, as we were talking earlier, we talk about a lot this uh uh, award or plaque clip that we talked about that was presented to him for being a no-nonsense uh, congressman. We, we appreciate you being the demander of justice, the right. demander uh, demanding uh, action and, and not asking your permission. He's telling you this is what you should do. Uh, a lot of people don't like that. Uh, but without a little bit of that in Ca- on Capitol Hill, we would have chaos everywhere, wouldn't we? Well, that's the reason that there is a government oversight and reform uh, committee to ensure, you know, like Lisa, Lisa was speaking about earlier, to ensure that, uh, you know, the members of the government, those who uh, make laws, those who work for uh, government agencies, that they are held accountable for their actions. Because you, you think about it, even the, uh, you know, um, the commissioner for the IRS. I mean, he's saying, hey, there's 90,000 employees that work at the IRS. If you think about it, here is a company with 90,000 employees. Somebody needs to oversee them and say, look, if you're going to be an employee here, if you are claiming that you're working for the American people, somebody has to ensure that what you do is on the up and up, that it has to be above board. That is why the oversight committees are there to ensure that those those uh, federal employees are doing what they're supposed to do. And that, uh, you know, 
as much as possible, nobody's getting over on the American people. And that's what Congressman Chavez is saying. He's saying, hey, I'm the chair of this committee. It is my duty. It is my responsibility. And I take it very, very seriously. Anybody who's ever seen him, look at him on CNN, on C-SPAN. You know he takes his job serious. He he right. he does not take no for an answer. He does not cut corners. He's saying, "Hey, the American people are watching. All we need is an answer from you, the proper answer, uh, which is the truth, because you will be held accountable for your actions or the lack thereof." Oh, absolutely. And we talk about that. And uh, what I like about it, he is he he doesn't have favorites. Right. And his job is, even though the Democratic we have a Democratic president. He believes in the sanctity, if you will, or the honor of that office and protecting those that hold that office. We've had Secret Service breakdown for a minute now. Uh, During the presidency of President Barack Obama, as never seen before in this country, security breakdown and breaches. Congressman Chavitz on the Oversight Committee called the Secret Service into question and addressed that failure. Let's see what he had to say. I thank the chairman, and, uh, and I, I also thank the ranking member, Mr. Cummings, in his statement. He's absolutely right. This is not a Republican issue, a Democrat issue. This is an American issue. I don't want it to be the political football, but we in the United States of America are self-critical. It's one of the beauties of our nation is we do hold ourselves accountable, and so I appreciate, Chairman, you holding this hearing. We have wonderful men and women who serve this nation. They do it patriotically. They do it. They put their lives in line. They walk away from their families and their spouses. They don't know what the day is going to bring them, and they do so in a very very honorable way and we thank them for their service and their dedication but i have serious concerns about the current leadership i have concerns about training and i have concerns about protocol and that's what i want to get out today since the current director uh has taken on this role it's also important to note that she was the chief of staff since 2008 and so over the last several years it's not good enough to just simply excuse this as something we were trying to clean up before because she was the chief of staff starting in 2008 I'm concerned about her leadership and the mixed messages that are sent to those that serve in the Secret Service. For instance, after the fence jumping incident, the Secret Service was very quickly, very quick to put out a statement that that honored the the officers and agents for their, quote, tremendous restraint. Tremendous restraint is not what we're looking for. Tremendous restraint is not the goal and the objective. It sends a very mixed message. The message should be overwhelming force. If one person can hop that wall, hop that fence and run unimpeded all the way into an open door at the White House, don't praise them for, for tremendous restraint. That's not the goal. That's not, the, that's not what we're looking for. If there were alarms that were inside the door that were muted or silent, I want to know why that is. Who makes that call and decision? That, to me, is a leadership decision. I think at some point we need to go back and review the 2013 Inspector General's report, which actually said there's not a problem here, but has over a thousand indications of security concerns. In the opening statement, say we have to be 100% right all the time. Everybody agrees with that. And yet the Inspector General's report is pretty damning when it comes and looks at how many, what the agents are feeling like happens within the, the agency itself. Very concerned about the 2011 incident. I'm thankful for the Washington Post and Carol Lennig and what she did in the reporting there. As best I can tell from the spot report, as well as the, the article in the Washington Post, the event in 2011 where eight shots were fired at the White House, 
you had no less than five Secret Service agents report that they thought they heard shots fired. You had somebody on Twitter report that they saw somebody shoot at the White House. There were two people in two different shuttle vans who reported that they saw somebody firing a weapon at the White House. Blocks away, moments later, somebody crashes a vehicle, an assault rifle is in there, and yet the, and the Secret Service is on the scene, and nobody ties those two together. I don't understand that. Later, the Arlington County Police actually detained this person. He had been positively identified based on what was that vehicle was there, but nobody put it into the system to put him on the watch list. Consequently, when the Arlington County Police pull him over, they take his picture and they let him go. And it was only the Pennsylvania police five days later that actually find this person. Now he's serving some 25 years in jail, but he could have done a lot more damage. If the director is truly, truly going to take full responsibility, I think your opening statement of the goals you have should also talk about leadership. Well, there you have it. And, uh, Cliff, you use the terminology, no holes barred. But I like what I'm hearing from Congressman Chavez. And he's asking the very tough questions. And he's saying, look, how do these events, and if you see it, William and Cliff, Lisa, how he breaks that down of the failure after failure after failure. And it doesn't matter that a Democrat is in the White House or a Republican. He said this is an American issue. That's right. Cliff, your thoughts on the congressman's forceful uh, position on this? Yeah, no matter which party you, uh, you represent or that you stand for, uh, you vote for, when it all comes down to it, the president of the United States, it, it's all of our, it's our president. His, uh, you know, his protection is at the top of the list of national security. And when Congressman Chavez is saying, look, you, the, the, uh, the, the acting director of the secret service said, well, we want to commend them for their, their tremendous restraint. And he called her in check. I mean, instantly, no, you, we do not commend you for your tremendous restraint. That's not what's needed at this point. At this point, overwhelming force is needed. You have a person, an intruder, you have a, uh, I mean, whatever whatever tag you want to put on the person, the president's life and the lives of his family are on, are on the line. They're at the risk. That is not the time to show restraint. Right. And, and, you know, I'm not an advocate for violence in a lot of situations. But in that situation, I would not have been adverse if they would have laid that individual down on the lawn of the White House before he got to within three minutes of the president's well, children. Well, but here's the issue. That's not violence anyway. That is protecting. That, that's right. That is serving and protecting the president of the United States. That is your job. And if I got to take you down uh, with me and my buddies here on the Secret Service, we have to put you down to protect the national security of this country. It's got to be done. But but see, this is this is the thing. This is what he's saying. Right. Okay. We're in we're the time that we're living in. We have seen suicide bombers. Sure. So he's sitting here saying, you let this guy jump the fence and run to the doorway into the, White, into House. the White House. Now, if he had had, if he'd been strapped with C4, if he'd been strapped with a vest, what could this, this would have altered our country. It's sure. not, you're not talking right. about a building. You would have changed 
the presidency from our, I believe we're at the 43rd president to a 44th president, which would have been, which would have been Joseph Biden. Now, I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about the White House that has stood since, what, Civil War time and hasn't been bombarded. You're talking about a national monument. You're talking about the leader of the free world. Oh, absolutely, and I think that's that goes to the passion of Congressman Chavez. Is this for one reason? Uh, Cliff William Lisa is this: uh, the national security of the United States is on the line. That is the bottom line. And when you come in and approach to try to take out our leader, our president, who represent who is when they say Commander in Chief of the United States of America, Secret Service, that's your job. And what I like what Congressman Chavez said, he got to the details. He said if the alarm was muted. How did that happen? He didn't just stop and somebody jumped the fence. He's, he's asking for the details. Let's go to the next step. Who muted or disarmed that alarm at the White House? He said, I want to know who that was and what that is. When you get down to details like that, you're looking at a congressman, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, that is needed in this hour, in this time in, the, in America. You have to have it. And if nobody stops and asks the details, it gets overlooked. And what, what's the next step? Who's the next person or the next target? Well, and, and I think just to add to that, the seriousness of what he's dealing with is the fact that if you just had one guy that was just, you know, random, unplanned, say, I'm going to jump the fence just to see what happens, and he got that far just out of, just out of sheer luck, what yeah. happens if an organized group, which we know that are being, you know, are coming together here in the United States, you know, sleeper cells, if they get this piece of information, they say, well, gosh, this guy just for grins, just as a dare, made it that far. What can we do as an organized group? Oh, I mean, what does that say? What does that say? And then the fact that he was found social media reported of the incident and then all these things. And then he was found in Pennsylvania. Was that correct? Positive ID. Oh, absolutely. That was the that was the other guy who shot at the White House. Oh, okay. I, mean, I didn't want to hear stories. It, okay. It showed sorry. the uh, showed the failure on the part of the Secret Service, and like Congressman Chavez says, all the way up to their leadership, that you have somebody shoot several shots at the White House. People on Twitter saying, "I just saw somebody shot." Five Secret Service agents say, "I heard shots," but that information is not passed on to the Capitol Police. When they pull somebody over in a car with assault rifle and let him go. to say, okay, well, we just had somebody shoot at the, right house, the White House. This guy gets away. They don't find him until five days later. Un- five un- days later, Look, he, they happen to be able to arrest him. Well, I think what you hear from Congressman Chavez is the outrage. Yes. What could have happened? Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you what. We need to break out the fans here at AJC Radio because the temperature is beginning to rise. As we continue to shine the spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday I'll tell you what, Congressman Jason Chavitz setting the bar. Who's going to reach it? We'll be right back here on AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We know you care. Now it's time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. 
If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Sparks. I'm Chase Crawford. Hey, what's up? It's Usher. Hi, I'm Rachel Dawson. I'm Hayden Christensen. I'm Peyton Manning. Hey, we're Fall Out Boy. I'm Dude Archuleta. I'm Corbin Blue. I'm Kristen Bell. And we're the Jonas Brothers. Do something good for your community. Reuse bags and bottles and always recycle. Help us collect a million pounds of food. Help people prepare for natural disasters. Do something about homelessness. Anyone could be a rock star in their community. So then do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Visit do something.org to find out how. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can have value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talent and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, the spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And we're coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, here at the AJC Radio Studio. And I'll tell you what, tonight has been a humdinger, as tonight the bar has been set. And as I've said over and over again on this program, Spotlight on Capitol Hill continues to get better. William, your thoughts as we have been hearing from a man, a leader, a champion, whatever adjective you want to use, making a difference in our nation's capital, Congressman Jason Chavitz. Yes, I, 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 you know, that's that's the reason why this show that makes the show so great is because you have people like this that are out there. They're champion causes. They're fighting for us. They're fighting for the little guys. And, you know, and they give us all the material. We're just presenting it, you know, to the audience. So I think it's great. It's really great to learn about about these different congressmen, these different representatives throughout the country that are fighting for us. And I, I really think it's great. And Cliff, as we have uh, again continued to talk about Congressman Chavitz, uh, I, I have you know you got to have respect for his wife, his children. What a blessed family that has to be, and not only a leader on Capitol Hill, a leader at home in every aspect of his life. Uh, family very important to the congressman. 
man, I'm excited to have someone that has been through some things, that has dealt with some issues, that has dealt with some loss, unfortunately, that we all have to go through, but doesn't make you the person and the champion that you need to be when you're dealing in a position as Congressman Chavitz uh, is doing, Cliff, I think it has to be respected. That's right. I mean, he, he feels the, uh, you know, basically all the issues, the pain, the joys, the concern of the American people. And that's what it takes to be a good uh, servant of the people is you have to feel what they go, what they go through. And uh, Congressman Chavitz has, has proven that not only with his constituents in his, in his district, but for the American people as a whole. I mean, you see it every time you see him, uh, you know, holding somebody accountable for what they've done, um, you know, as being the, the, the chair over the government oversight committee. Uh, but and, and everything, every time you you see him on television, every time you hear him, like when we sat down in front of him in D.C. in his office, you get that feeling that, hey, he feels what we feel, and that is what it takes to be a good servant to the people. Oh, absolutely. And we talk about, again, he holds everybody yes. accountable. And uh, you're familiar, uh, if you're not familiar with the issue with the Department of Justice on the Fast and the Furious uh, controversy, Cliff. We I think we discussed it on several occasions on this show, uh, where guns and, and actually a life was lost as a result of some actions uh, by the Department of Justice. Congressman Chavitz calls that into question. Let's hear what he had to say concerning that issue. Acting as uh, ATF Director, Mr. Melson is in that position for two years and met with the Attorney General one time, one time. That's inexcusable in my book. I also think what happened, part of the, the conclusion I think validates what we've been concerned about for so long, is that the adult in the room, the head of the criminal division, is supposed to be Lanny Brewer. But Lanny Brewer, having been briefed on what happened previously, knew about gun walking, knew about these straw purchases, and said nothing about it. He didn't issue a new edict that says we're not going to do this anymore. In fact, you would be led to believe that by just allowing it to continue on, no new directive that he was actually endorsing this. That's what I take around, Fred. I think this is a wonderful report. I appreciate the thoroughness. I think you're a professional and did a great job. I think you're a little soft on Lanny Brewer. To suggest, as you did on page 314, moreover, Brewer did not supervise Operation Fast and Furious and did not authorize any activities in the investigation, I think is, um, I would disagree with that statement. Jason Weinstein reported to Lanny Brewer. And this report clearly highlights Jason Weinstein as being made as the key person that that was probably most uh, responsible here. I would also point out to my colleagues that on February 4th, 2011, of all the days, the day that we are issued, specific to Senator Grassley, a letter that was totally false about ATF activities. By the way, this letter doesn't even mention Fast and Furious. It says that these guns were allowed to walk, or that the ATF does not allow guns to walk in any way, shape, or form. I would point to the February 4th uh, memorandum about uh, a, uh, the Assistant Attorney General Brewer going to Mexico. As a synopsis to that, in Mexico, he proposed to the Mexican uh, government, uh, Assistant Attorney General Brewer suggested allowing straw purchases cross into Mexico. I, I, we have in black and white a document suggesting that he's not only 
uh, approving of, of these types of activities. He's advocating for these types of activities. So to answer Mr. Cummings' question, it's crystal clear. The head of the criminal division was down there pitching the Mexican government that we ought to be doing more of this. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Cliff, the statement, a representative of the United States pitching the idea to violate the law. Who else? Look, it doesn't get any plainer than that. That's a tough question, but it has to be answered. Yeah, exactly. It has to be answered. Somebody has to be held accountable. And again, you know, an individual, a a, um, Border Patrol agent with one of these guns that walk across the border. And when they say that, you know, basically saying that uh, they're they're allowing gun purchases to be done uh, so that they can, you know, basically track track it through the gun, through the drug cartel. But one of these guns that came from the Fast and Furious, uh, you know, uh, operative or operation ended up killing a border uh, border patrol officer. So, you know, you have people who have to uh, go and speak to that individual's family, tell his, his wife and his child that, uh, you know, he was killed. And Congressman Chavez is saying, look, somebody has to be held accountable for this. Where is the leadership? And then why are you over in Mexico saying, um, you know, telling Congress one thing, no, we don't advocate that uh, any of this type of activity happens, but then document it. You're over in Mexico saying, look, we need to encourage more of this happening. And, um, you know, this whole, the entire situation with the Fast and Furious uh, operation just really went bad. It, it was a tragedy. But what it did do is it it encouraged the, uh, you know, the Inspector General Empowerment Act of 2015 that uh, Congressman Chavez came up with, basically extending and enhancing the investigatory power of inspector general so that when you're when an inspector general calls you out that uh you know and and basically in the in the uh, act it says this section grants inspectors general subpoena authority to compel the attendance and testimony of certain witnesses including federal contractors and former for federal employees and in investigations so See, before it was like, okay, well, you can come up and you can you can talk to the inspector general, or you can't. This act saying no, you're you're being compelled. So, not just saying we we're requesting your presence. You will testify. You'll tell inspector general what you know, and then you'll testify in front of Congress. Otherwise, you'll be held in contempt, and you know you you're looking at at a at a prison term. But that act right there that came from the Fast and Furious says, look. We need to do something more because we cannot have these type of atrocities happen because somebody claims that they made a mistake and one of these guns ends up in the wrong hands. Oh, that's absolutely the truth. And I think what I'm respecting about Congressman Chaffin, just one of many things, is that he has addressed different forms of the government thus far. We have the IRS, he addressed. We have the Department of Justice, he addressed. He addressed the Homeland Security for intimidating witnesses. Uh, we're, we're going to get to that here in a moment. He talks about the airport security failure, calling the DEA out for sex parties and things and abuse of power in those positions. These are the things, and they say all the time, no, definitely don't leave us no, any stone unturned. Congressman Chavez is not going to do that. And if it's brought to his attention, I guarantee you, there's going to be some answers, and people are going to answer those questions. 
critical in the time in which we live right now. So much is at stake in America in every form of government in which we operate. It has to be, William, on this level. And I don't, I, when I said earlier, Congressman Chavez has set the bar, and you better adhere to it. Well, this is one thing, you know, I just found out. Because of this, because of the Fast and Furious scandal, and they said that here there was over like 150 Mexican civilians that remained to kill. I mean, not only did the Border Patrol officer lose his life, a gun was tracked there, but they said it was many, many uh, incidents that happened both on the Mexico and U.S. side of the borders that contributed to it, that were a product of these guns. But this is the one thing that, that I really like. This is as a result of the dispute over the release of the Justice Department's documents related to this scandal of Fast and Furious. Attorney General Eric Holder became the first sitting member of the cabinet of the United States to be held in contempt of Congress on June 28th of 2012. Now, see, this right here, this right here says a lot, because if you don't have a, a congressman like Congressman Chavez that is calling these people in question, see, as a, as a as the attorney general, it doesn't mean just because I have that title doesn't mean I can't break the law. I can't manipulate the system. I don't have some level of corruption. He calls these people in question. And for that to happen, for, the, for him to be the first member to be called in contempt, Congressman Chavez. I mean, he called, you know, that's, that's well, look, what he's doing. And at the end of the day, and, and let's be clear on this, no charges were ever filed no, no, against no. Uh, Attorney General Eric Holder. Uh, these were issues, and what we're, I guess what we want to address uh, is again the probing, the looking into. Yes. You can be in contempt of court, doesn't mean you were re- necessarily responsible, but you have to ask the questions. Right. That is what the government oversight committee is for to call you in and say, what are you doing? Why did you do it? That's called, in my opinion, and according to the definition, that's accountability. And we have to hold people accountable. That very good point, William, on that. And he goes further Homeland Security, we talked about now, this is another branch of government. Asking the tough questions. Why? What is the purpose of homeland security? Exactly what the name says. Security at the homeland. And when people fail there, America's at risk. Let's see what Congressman Chavez had to say about conduct within the homeland security. Last Friday, the committee conducted a transcribed interview of a TSA witness whose testimony the committee requested in January. You're familiar with this interview? Yes, I am. When the committee attorneys asked the witness whether they had been discouraged from speaking with the committee, both the agency and the department attorney repeatedly refused to allow the witness to answer the question, even going so far as to interrupt when the witness appeared willing to answer. How does the department justify this? As I told Mr. Micah, uh, the questions were requesting um, him to discuss what attorneys advised him that's subject to the attorney-client privilege so our attorneys uh, asked him not to respond and suggested that we discuss it in getting and try to get the committee the information they want uh, if you'd like I can answer the, the, the broader question that I think they were asking right now no I, I want to get specific to that so-called attorney-client privilege is the practice of the House of Representatives to leave to the Congressional Committee the determination of, of whether to recognize claims of attorney-client privilege or attorney work product, product. In this case, there is not a compelling reason to recognize the privilege. Further, I would go on to say 
I believe you're intimidating somebody. I believe it's intimidating to have attorneys saying, don't answer that question. I'll go back to my original or question I asked you earlier. What is it that you think that we shouldn't be able to see here in time? Well, to, to this point, uh, um, it's a long-standing position of the executive branch going back probably to before I was born that uh, we will not share attorney-client communications uh, with the legislative branch. I recognize that the legislative branch so you've been holding takes a different position uh, uh, that's a long-standing dispute between the branches. What other guidance I can resolve? What other guidance and directive did you give to the witness prior to them coming to testify before Congress? Wow. Yeah, that's the word for it. Yeah, that's uh, the word for it. I mean, he's asking the wow. mark with that last question. What What else did you tell the witness before they came to be interviewed by Congress? What other advice did you tell them? Because, I mean, he, he's recognizing, like, you guys are trying are to play out, a game. You're out of line. You, yeah. are, you are way out of line. You are keeping a witness from giving information to the American people and trying to push it under the client attorney privilege. When that is not where it belongs. Well, here's the thing, Cliff. You, these are attorneys on those committees. Are you trying to walk into a room of attorneys and invoke attorney-client privilege? Before, before? He said, what do you think Congress doesn't have the right to know? That, 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 yeah, what are you trying to yeah, hide? Yeah, what are you trying to hide? What are you yeah. hiding from Congress? Yeah. Uh, Congress may have its issues. But you don't mess with Congress. These are the people, these are the voice of America. They were voted into office. And unless there's an issue of corruption or ethical issues, which are dealt with as well, they have put their own, Congress has removed people out of that body as a result of ethical and and corruption and all those things that, that, that have gone on. I'll tell you what, my hat's off to Congressman Chavez. For having the the uh, the passion and the and the the uh, what word am I looking for the the stand up attitude to say we will hold you accountable. Well, he's not going to be intimidated. That's the thing. He's not going. He's not. That whole clip right there said basically, you're not going to stand here in front of this body of congressmen, lawyers. Those that have a lot that's going on and try to try to tiptoe around, you are, have intimidated this witness by what you said, and you're trying to hide things from us. And then he just basically told him, he said, "So you're not going to admit to it." So look, you tried to you trying to strong arm them. That's what you're doing. And so you know, I, you got to love him. You got to love him because yep. he's basically saying, "I'm not going to be pushed. I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to get flustered. I'm not going to get you know." My tone's not going to go up. You're going to answer these questions. Well, at the end of the day, this is that's why you are the chair right. of 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 the oversight and government oversight. That's why you're the chair. You got to have somebody in position. You have to have them that is not scared because there's a lot of issues that have to be addressed. If you shy away from the conflict, the American people never get the answers, and America continues to stay at risk. Let's go to a little softer side. We're going to go back. Uh, we have a couple more things I want you to hear. He calls the DEA out for their failure 
uh, and what they're doing to put uh, this country at risk, and also the airport security failures. I tell you, when I tell you he's all over the map, Congressman Chavez, in addressing issues that matter, and that's critically important. But I want to go to this point, uh, the Presidential Allowance Modernization Act. I thought this was very, very telling uh, in a very good way to honor those that have served public office uh, in this country, whether you're Republican or Democrat. I think this is critical. Uh, this allows former U.S. presidents a lifetime annual annuity of $200,000 and an annual monetary allowance of 200000 each adjusted annually for inflation as provided by the Social Security Act. Reduces such annual allowance by the amount that a president's adjusted gross income in a taxable year exceeds 400000 Denies such annuity and monetary allowance to a former president who holds an appointive or elected position in or under the federal government that pays more than a nominal amount. Increases from 20 to uh, $20 to $100,000 the annual annuity of surviving spouse of a former president with an annual inflation adjustment to such increased amount as provided by the Social Security Act. I think that speaks volumes. It tells me that Congressman Chavez is honestly about honoring those that have, have, have sat in that Oval Office. And to say we want this not only, Cliff, for the, for the president and the former president, but what about their spouses? Those that have given and sacrificed a lot, uh, that speaks volumes to the character of Congressman Chavez. William, your thoughts on that? I, you know, hats off. I mean, he does look at the fact that, you know, it's not only one man, it's a family. And it's, it's, it's collectively what they're doing, the sacrifice that they're, that they're making. Um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, it, he does, he's dealing with the corruption on one side, the accountability on the other side, but also the fact, you know, there's the family aspect of government. There's those that are sacrificing. And so, you know, he, he, he's dealing with these issues, and it's incredible. No, it's awesome, man. And we talked about the transparency uh, Act, uh, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac Transparency Act of 2015. Uh, you know what happened in the big uh, shakeup in, in uh, Wall Street. A lot of these companies were in very serious situations. He's now saying there's going to be transparency uh, happening. Requires either the Federal National Mortgage Association, Fannie Mae, or the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, Freddie Mac, to be considered an agency subject to the public information disclosure requirements of the Freedom of Information Act during any period in which such entity is under uh, conservatorship or receivership. Uh, basically, if you know about the breakdown, the huge collapse uh, that, and so hats off to President Obama uh, for some actions that were taken to restore uh, our economy to a point of of completion. Still, we have a long way to go, of course, but got really the United States out of a really a recession a very bad one but to take these steps and say now that we've learned and this is what some that that has this, and it, to me it speaks to leadership that yeah we can do this and we can do that but we have an issue we have to have people and banks and organizations transparent to what's going on that we don't find ourselves in a situation facing a dilemma like we're facing right that, that we were facing at that time i think that speaks volume William, to his character and who he is it, it does it does it basically says you know we're not going to let unlawful practices, we're not going to let, you know, these lending practices that got us into these situations uh, continue. I mean, number one, 
our economy took an incredible hit. People were losing their homes. It, you know, so it's awesome. I mean, I tell you what, and, and folks, we can do probably three, four, five, six shows on Congressman Chavitz. Take a moment tonight to thank Congressman Chavitz uh, for meeting with us in Washington D.C. and uh, and a hat off to his staff. Uh, who were so gracious to us when we came down there. We appreciate the opportunity and for your service, Congressman Chavez, that you've given this great nation uh, in order to make it a better place. We appreciate it. Right now, we turn the dial. What you didn't know about the RP6. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RMP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live and work together that we should end up dying together because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified and then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story, Judge H. Lee Serrican, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. 
and they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the IRP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. Now, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. And I'll tell you right now, what you didn't know about the IRP6 story, this segment deals with a very important issue. How do six men with no criminal record of any kind, patriots, if you will, of this great nation, find themselves with a sentence of 7 to 11 years behind bars for a crime that was never committed? These are the questions that make absolutely no sense. We have no answers to other than a scheme, a, a target, if you will, of these men to do that which was clearly unjust. Cliff, when we talk about the sentencing issue with these guys, we're talking former military. We're talking about people that contribute to our economy in the business world. How do we take men with no record for 40, 50 years, whatever ages, that, the, the different range of age, ages that are there, how do you come up with a sentence to that magnitude unless corruption is at the front door? You know, Lamont, that is the question that uh, so many, you know, so many people that we've talked to about this case, that they ask the same question. They say, you know, I, I'm looking at the sentence of everybody from Judge Serkin, several different attorneys, uh, you know, even even federal prosecutors, uh, you know, retired, say, or, or former federal prosecutors saying, I'm looking at the sentence and I'm trying to figure out how did they come up with sentences so long for a first-time offense 
and for such a, uh, a a very strange case. I mean, the fact that with with everything that happened in the case that that uh, you know that went wrong, that that their their evidence wasn't allowed, expert witnesses weren't allowed to testify, the judge uh, withholding the transcript, and the fact that this is a, a, a civil debt collection case. And then you come up with these outrageous sentences, and everybody that we've talked to has said, how did they come up with sentences so long? We've heard from, uh, from some of the IRP6 that said, even you know, when they, when they uh, got to where they had in Florence uh, prison camp, that some of the other inmates asked, how did you guys get these type of sentences? These are the sentences that they give you know, bank robbers and murderers and sure. things of that nature. How, do you get, how did you get a sentence? that long so it speaks to the fact that uh judge christine arguello is outside way outside her bounds of, of what she should have done but when you look at the whole situation it says okay you're trying to lock these guys up warehouse them to try to ensure that uh what you did is not brought to light but they did not anticipate that you know the IRP six are are fighters and that a just cause would advocate for them here on the outside uh, but it really speaks to just how out of control Judge Christine Arguello was in this case that those sentences would be uh, would, would be would be that long. I mean, I mean, it's totally ridiculous. And they've been there for four years now. And uh, and everybody that we talked to, just like we had uh, former the former judge on, uh, you know, on Tuesday show. And she said, you know, it depresses me the fact that I'm coming over on here and we're still talking about the IRP6 case because this should have been over a long time ago. No, without question. And, and at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, this is something that we are addressing. Who are the IRP6? I keep hearing that name, you may say. Six men, innocent, that have been behind bars for four years without cause. Who are they? They are David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, injustice has run rampant in America. These are the latest examples of cruel and unusual punishment. Who are the perpetrators of justice that are responsible for locking up these patriots of this country? William, who are they? U.S. Attorney John Walsh, U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hartz, Federal Judge Arbrook Jackson, Magistrate Judge Greg Schaefer, Craig Report, uh, excuse me, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, former. Federal Agent John Epke, former Federal Agent Gary Hillberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Richard Berger, Robert Berger, excuse me, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Cornfield, Attorney Mark Garagos, President of ETI Professional Services, Susan Holland, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, folks. That is the list of the perpetrators of justice. A very special thanks to Congressman Jason Chavitz. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to go out to change.org. Sign the petition as we seek and ask for clemency for these six men to President Obama. Folks, this has been Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Shine the light on a champion. It's Congressman Jason Chavitz. Good night, America. We'll see you next time.
We have spent nearly, we will have spent nearly $500 million on, on uh, AIT machines. I call them the whole body imaging machines. Uh, by the time we get to the year two, uh, 2013, and yet they, these machines, there are parts, gaps, and that's security that don't work. I happen to believe that there's a better, smarter way to do this that is more secure, less invasive. And uh, we're going to hear some testimony today in talking about the canine units and what they're able to do, and I look forward to hearing that testimony. We're also concerned that uh, these AIT machines or, or whole body imaging machines would not found some of the weapons that were uh, attempted to be used in December in the December 2009 incident. And the list goes on. TSA has spent millions and millions of dollars on technology that has not worked. And remember the 2,207 puffer machines after spending $30 million and having those deployed, those were put back on the shelf. The challenge before us is great. It's immense. It's real. We have to deal with that threat and security. Uh, threat to our nation. It's not going to go away. There is no end to the uh, uh, creativity of terrorists. And while I've heard the press accounts say that, well, let's remember that the 25,000 security breaches are 1% or even less than 1%, unfortunately, we have to be right all the time. Terrorists only have to get lucky once. A lot of what we have been participating in here, in my personal opinion, has been security theater and has not truly done the job to secure the Air Force to the degree that we need to. I think one of the personal challenges that we have as a nation is how do we become more secure and yet less invasive, that we don't give up every personal liberty in the name of security. And we have to find that proper balance. It's a difficult one knowing that the threat is real. This is what's so infuriating. You're the director of the Secret Service. It's almost three weeks after the incident. And you don't know why it takes 11 minutes to pick up the phone and say, hey, Metro Police Department, we got a problem down here. We need your help. It takes 27 minutes to secure the scene. 27 minutes. What if it was a real problem? What if it was a real problem? Mr. Chairman, I've been at the White House complex when we have cordoned off areas, when we have secured zones, and it, it happens very rapidly uh, for my... But this didn't, and this is the most recent example. Why didn't it happen? I don't know. Who are you holding accountable? Well, we're going to wait. We're not going to... You're going to wait. That's we're, the problem. We're going to wait. And not That's the problem. Wait. We're going to wait. Yes. That's the problem. That's the problem. 